Open your Bible to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to return to the Way uh, sermon series this morning, picking up where we left off back in June. Yeah, it's been since June since I preached in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we've been working our way through Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. And if you can't remember that far back, we put in flesh on verses 17 through 20, showing the practical applications of the kind of righteousness that it sees the scribes and Pharisees, showing the kind of heart attitude that Jesus desires for his people, showing the, you know, the kind of lifestyle he, he wants for those who have saving faith in him. You see, Jesus wants his people to be like God the Father. And that's what he says in his summary verse in verse um, 48, he says, therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus wants us to be single-minded like God. That's what that term means, delios. Undivided like the father. He wants us to flourish like the father, to be whole like God the father. You see, wholeness, the wholeness that Christ talks about it's an integration between your internal and external life. It's a consistency of who you are on the inside and the outside. And the way of wholeness is simply loving God and your neighbor as yourself. That's the way of wholeness. And Jesus illustrates this with six examples in Matthew 5, verses 28 through 47. We've already discussed the first example in verses 21 through 26. And today we're going to jump into the second example. It's a, an example about relational faithfulness. Relational faithfulness is a way of wholeness. Please look with me at verses 27 through 30 in Matthew chapter 5. These are the words of our Lord and Savior. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, any, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you should lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. That's a lot there. And we'll unpack that today. So please join me as we ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, this time and even all the worship needs you to be involved in it. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. So Holy Spirit, we want you to be here in the midst of what every, everything that takes place within um, our gathering time together. And as we come to this particular aspect of worship, that you would take the preached word, apply it to my heart, and apply it to the hearts of everyone that is here. You know what we're dealing with. You can even take this type of passage and and, and let people hear the things that they need to hear, receive the encouragement they need to receive, receive the word they need to receive for you today, Lord. I pray that you would do that for the glory of Christ and for our benefit as his people. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. 
Uh, Jesus begins uh, this passage the same way, with the same phrase that he began the passage in verses 21 through 26. He says, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. And this particular phrase, if you can remember, it, it doesn't mean that says the Lord. It is not a reference to God's intent of the law and the prophets. It's a reference to Israel's traditional, historical, and cultural understanding and interpretation of the law that is expressed in verse 27. The phrase communicates a strictly literal interpretation. It focuses on the letter of the law and highlights only the verbal meaning. So what is the law that's been expressed in this phrase? It's the seventh commandment which is one of the Ten Commandments, part of God's moral law. In this particular commandment, it honors and protects the sanctity of marriage. It honors and protects the sanctity of marriage. Kids and youth, I have a question for you. What is the Christian definition of marriage? Don't be shy. What is the Christian definition of marriage, kids and youth? It's an example of God and his relationship with people. But it's also a covenant union before God between one man and one woman for a lifetime commitment. Marriage is instituted by God for his glory to be a wonderful provision for all human beings. And the inception of marriage occurs in, in the Garden of Eden with our first parents, Adam and Eve. And if you read through the first book of the Bible, you know there was a wedding ceremony there. And you know what Adam said to Eve? This is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, one wife, and they both shall become one flesh. And a man and a woman were both naked and were not ashamed. There should be some amens there. Come on. Amens. The, the, the marriage relationship is the closest and most intimate of all relationship, human relationships and unions on earth. It is. Even more so than parent and child. Listen to these words. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Do you see the intimacy, the closeness, the togetherness? It's beautiful. And what you have there is a picture of relational faithfulness within the covenant marriage. The seventh commandment, saints, it seeks to preserve faith, relational faithfulness within all covenant marriages. It seeks to protect marriage from something that can destroy it. And the seventh commandment tells us, you shall not commit adultery. And what is adultery? How do you define that term? It's relational unfaithfulness is what it is. It's infidelity. It's fooling around on your spouse. It's two-timing. It's an extramarital affair. And it breaks any marriage covenant. It destroys families. It leaves a trail a bloody consequences in its path. One author, her name is Wendy Plump, and in an article that she wrote some years ago called A Room for the Yearning and Regret. 
a room full of yearning and regret. She said, as writer Paul Theroux writes in one of his travel logs, it is very easy to plant a bomb in a peaceful, trusting place. That is what a cheating spouse has done and then detonated it. Some of you may have experienced this. Some of you will experience this. And it happens in every family, in every church. See, the letter of the law for the seventh commandment means you should not have an extramarital affair. You should not physically cheat on your spouse. And, and that's what this phrase reinforces in Jesus' words here. You should not commit. You heard that it was said. You should not commit adultery. Again, keep in mind what that phrase represents. It does not represent God's intent for that commandment. It's Israel's historical, traditional, and cultural understanding. And for them, they limit the prohibition of this commandment just to the physical act of adultery only. And such understanding can lead to a certain belief. A belief that says, if I don't engage in intercourse with a person, then I've done all that's required in the seventh commandment. If I don't do that, I'm good. Jesus takes issue with that. He takes issue with this strictly literal interpretation. He takes issue with limiting this commandment to just simply behaviors and external obedience. And he also implicitly deals with a double standard surrounding divorce, uh, adultery during this time. There was a double standard. See, there was a loophole for all Israelite males when it comes to the seventh commandment. One Christian theologian says, it was not seen as adultery, for example, for an Israelite male to have intercourse with a female slave or with a Gentile woman. Adultery for him involved infringing the rights of another Israelite male. Do you see the loophole? Do you see the double standard? Do you see the abuse? And I also read an exegetical paper on this section. Listen to what this author says. He says, although it is true that in the ancient world, including Israel, many condemn adultery as a great social wrong, but not all cases of extramarital affairs were necessarily considered morally wrong. For even in Israel's society, intercourse with a slave was not regarded as a moral problem as long as she did not belong to another Israelite man. Adultery, therefore, was often interpreted in terms of male's responsibility to respect married women as someone else's private property. This particular mindset not only encourages female justification, but it undermines the rights of unmarried women to be treated with equal honor and respect, not as an object of possession, but as persons created in the image of God. Again, do you see the issue? Do you see the problem? Jesus is going to redeem this hot mess. The double standard, objectifying the women, married and unmarried. He's going to challenge their, their historical and traditional understanding of this commandment. And this is when he says, but I say to you. You heard that it was said long ago, but now I'm here and I'm going to say to all y'all. Do you see the, 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 the authority that he speaks with in those words? And when Jesus says about you, that means thus says the Lord. That's what it means. 
He's going to give the full of meaning and implication and demands of the seventh commandment. He's going to focus on the spirit of the law, connecting it to heart and actions, showing what type of attitudes and convictions and that he desires for his people. He desires relational faithfulness for y'all. He actually reveals where the act of adultery actually begins, and it does not begin with an act. It begins with something else. There's a phrase that some parents, particularly moms, use to say to their kids before going in the store. Now, when I was a kid, my mom would give us this pep talk before we go in. You can look, but you better not touch nothing. Because if you touch something, there will be some negative consequences. The same phrase is often used when we find ourselves attracted to another person. Look, but don't touch. Married people use this phrase when they find themselves attracted to someone other than their spouse. Look, but don't touch. And be honest with yourselves, married people. You will find yourself being attracted to someone who's not your spouse. You ain't got to amen. You don't have to. You know you are. Don't sit here and pretend like you holier than thou. You will, at moments, find yourself attracted to people who are not your spouse. Singles, single men, single women, the same applies to you. You're not exempt. You will be attracted to other singles. You will be find yourself attracted to people who are married. That's the truth. And you will say, look, but don't touch. And if you're dating... As a Christian or in a courtship relationship, you say, look, but just a little bit of touching. <laughs> if you can't talk about it here, where is she going to talk about it at? Right. If you can't. If you can't talk about it here, where else can you talk about it? There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that a woman is beautiful and a man is handsome. In fact, all women are beautiful and all men are handsome because they're created in the image of God. That's why. And, and, and let's be honest. Ladies, some men are going to catch your eye. And men, some women are going to catch your eye. And you will say a thing to yourself, she's beautiful. Oh, he's handsome. And that's harmless. But as one pastor says, it's one thing to make aesthetic observations, but it's another thing to entertain imagination and entertain in more fantasies. The look but don't touch phrase can lead to such an imagination and entertainment. It can lead to lust. And according to Jesus, the physical act of adultery begins in the heart with lustful eyes. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Imagine the disciples' thoughts the thoughts of the crowd that's sitting there. He blows up their view of adultery. He tears down their view of the seventh commandment, destroys their objectification of women. He goes right to the heart of the man. Notice what he says. He says, I lost my spot. Okay, here we go. He says, looks with lustful intent. The Greek term that is used here means to have a strong desire for what belongs to someone else. To engage in an activity that is morally wrong, lustful intent is to covet what is forbidden. 
it is a desire to have sexual intercourse with a mad person. A desire to have sexual intercourse with someone who's not your spouse. And please understand, this is not just for married people. It ain't just for men. Women struggle here. We all struggle here. Teens struggle here. Single struggle here. Adults struggle here. Older adults struggle here. We all struggle here. You might not be touching, but you're lusting. Man, I ain't going to get no amens today. <laughs> and as you, as you gather your thoughts here, I want you to be aware of a potential trap that can, that can catch us. And the, the trap is believing that Jesus is saying that lust is just as bad as adultery. That is not his point. A similar professor once says that Jesus does not equate adultery with lust. He isn't making all sin equal. Adultery is indeed a worse sin with greater social and personal consequences than lusting. So he's moving us from a tendency to from focusing exclusively on behavior. So we can also look at what's going on in our heart. With our motives, with our intentions, with our desires, with our feelings. Do you know what's going on inside of you as an individual when it comes to this particular issue? Do you see what's beneath the surface of those desires? Jesus' words here have other implications for our relationships with other people. For example, Christians should not live a lifestyle or premarital sex. That's not how we live. Sex is beautiful in the context of marriage only. And if you're currently engaging in that, it may feel good, but it ain't love. But do you believe it? His words have implications for pornography, which is a huge addiction across every church in America. Among men, women, and teens. It's a false intimacy. It's a fantasy. It is not real. But do you believe it? His words have implications for homosexuality or same-sex attraction. It's not according to God's design. And And people in churches struggle with these things, even our church, in every family. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? His words have implications for a term called sexting. Parents and teens, parents and grandparents, you know what that term means? Your kids do. Your teens know what it means. It means when you send sexual images through your smartphone or tablet to friends on the computer. It is not real. It is not helpful. But do you believe it? His words have implications for a secret, unhealthy, emotional relationships in real life or online. People struggle with this as well. Some of you may be struggling with it, but do you believe it? And please don't say it won't happen in our church. It won't happen in my family. It won't happen in my marriage. It won't ever happen to me. It won't happen to my kids. Or you don't know my kids. My kids are different. It is happening. It is happening. It is happening. Each of us struggle with these things on some level. But do you have a safe place to go to someone and say, I'm struggling? Without judgment. The Bible teaches that all means 
are created in the image of God. Every male and female is fearfully and wonderfully created in his image. And when you're lusting after someone, you make them an object of your fantasy, a tool to be used and abused. You make them a commodity for your own pleasure. You, that's what you're doing. You objectify them. And please know you rob them of their dignity and value and self-worth when you do that. That's not how Jesus relates to you. Do you think Christ sees you as a commodity? A commodity. Something that you use and when you're done with, you throw it in the trash. That's what a commodity is. No, he doesn't treat you that way. And if you have saving faith in him today, he doesn't treat you like an object. You are his treasured possession. Adopted sons and daughters into his family. Daughters and sons of the king. That is who you are. He redeemed you out of state of sin and misery and brought you into the state of grace and favor. And through his finished work, sinners are made into saints. Not tools to be used and abused. That is who you are if you have faith in Christ. But do you believe that? If that's how Christ sees you, then that's how we should see other people. And if you don't have faith in Christ, he doesn't treat you like an object either. He doesn't see you as a commodity. He sees and treats you like an image bearer who's just lost, who he wants to save, who he wants to redeem, who he wants to restore, who he wants to forgive. All you got to do is come. All you got to do is come. All you got to do is come, saints. Do you want to be saved today? If you're not. At this moment, you can call upon the name of Christ. He'll bring you in. And he'll set you on the path of wholeness. He'll set you on the path of relational wholeness. And if you have faith in him already, he wants you to have Relational faithfulness in your relationships. If you're married, that means he wants you to be physically and emotionally faithful to your spouse. It's both. Husbands, it's both. This will require you to set boundaries, physical and emotional boundaries with people you're not married to. With your brothers and sisters, with your coworkers. With male friends, female friends. And if you're a parent, it means you establish appropriate physical and emotional boundaries with your kids. God did not create your kid to be your surrogate spouse. That's not why he created them. If your spouse ain't giving you what you need, you need to go to, go to the table and talk with them. Your kids cannot be your spouse. You sin against them if you do that. Kids, please look at Pastor Alex. I need all kids. And what I'm about to say is for kids and for teens, there's a difference between a good touch and a bad touch. If anyone touches you in a way that is harmful, in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable, you need to tell someone you trust. Or you can come tell me, and trust me, I'll deal with it. All bad touches are relational unfaithfulness. It is not love. It is not love. I mean, if you're single, 
It also requires requires of you to set appropriate physical and emotional boundaries for other people. Have God-honoring relationships with the opposite sex or same sex. So if you're dating right now, also you got to set appropriate boundaries. Don't function like husband and wife when you're not husband and wife. Okay? If you ain't ready to make the commitment, then don't do what committed people do. No cohabitating. No sex before marriage. No discussing how far can we go before it's sin. You're already in if you're asking that question. I know this is hard stuff. I know it is. But again, if I can't talk about it here, what can you talk about it? Teens and youth. Attention. You got to set appropriate physical, relational, emotional boundaries with your peers. You got to respect yourself. Definitely for the young ladies, respect yourself. Respect your body. Respect the limits your parents placed on you because it's from love. You ain't going to like it. You ain't got to like it. But they do it because they love you. So here's another thing. If you don't think for yourself, other people will do it for you. And I know you're going to have crushes. People are going to have crushes on you. It's part of life. I had crushes. When I was in the kindergarten, I had a crush. It's part of life. But as I said earlier, God designed the sexual relationship for for marriage. When it's outside of that, it's unhealthy. All the girls, I want you to repeat after me. I am created in the image of God. All right, there's more girls here than that. If you are a girl, I want you to say, I am created in the image of God. He made me beautiful. I have value. I have self-worth. And I have dignity. Thank you. Boys, repeat after me. I'm created in the image of God. He made me handsome. I have value. I have self-worth. And I have dignity. And if y'all grow up believing that, oh, you're going to have healthy relationships. You will. And before I move on for this, I know the teens are ready for me to move on. (laughs) If you're a teen and you have a smartphone and you have a tablet and a computer, use them wisely. And parents, you need to monitor those things like a hawk because they're sneaky. They'll try to get over on you. Monitor those things like a hawk. Use them wisely. Because, saints, life is about choices. And each of us need to learn to make wise choices. And it's difficult sometimes. That's why the Holy Spirit will help us. And some of these choices, some of these choices is going to be hard when it comes to setting relational boundaries with people. It's going to be difficult when it comes to to being sexually pure. It's going to be hard because sometimes some of these decisions you're going to have to make, sometimes it's going to feel like a a kick to the gut. It's difficult. Because it says sometimes somebody here needs to get rid of their Internet because they can't stop watching porn. Some of y'all need to get rid of your smartphone and get a pull-up phone. And some of you need to break up with a boyfriend and girlfriend because the relationship is inappropriate. 
Others may need to end a friendship or relationship because it's physically, emotionally unhealthy. And some of you may need to come clean with your spouse because you ain't clean about something. And this is what Jesus illustrates in this next point. He's not saying he wants you to cut off your arm or pluck out your eye. Please don't leave here and do that. Please. But for the love of Christ, please don't do that. Those are just illustrations of saying that if there's something in my life that is killing me, killing my relationships, I at least need to consider do something different. That's what those verses mean. Because he wants, if you're married, he wants your marriage to flourish. If you have kids, he wants your relationship with your kids to flourish. Siblings, flourish. Parent, kids, relationship with your parents, he wants that to flourish. And when things come up that gets in the way of those relationships, he wants you to deal with it because he loves you. Not because he doesn't like you or he doesn't want you to live your life. It's because he loves you. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? The path to relational faithfulness and relational wholeness, it won't be without pain. It won't be easy. But your comfort in this journey is that when you're relationally unfaithful, Christ is there by by your side. Still, Emmanuel. Still, your Savior. Still, your best friend. Still, by your side. So don't leave here today coming up with a whole bunch of rules to follow. If you feel convicted, just go on your knees and ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask him for help. And he'll help you. But do you believe that? Paul says in Philippians 1.6, that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. That is not just an opinion. Now, if I wrote that, it would be an opinion. But this is from the very word of God to you. It's a promise to each and every one of you who have saving faith in Christ. That he's not done with you yet. And there's always hope in your relationships that are not right. This is one of the reasons why I want to pray about relationships today. Asking Jesus to come in and fix the things that are broken, that are not right. And you got to believe that he's able. We sung about that today. Do you believe that he's able to fix it? Do you believe that he's able to fix your broken relationships? All right, that's enough. I'm hot and I'm sweaty. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are always relationally faithful to us, always, without a doubt. None of us can point to a time in our life where we can say, Jesus has been unfaithful to me.
None of us can share a testimony of you not being there. You cannot deny yourself. If we are faithless, you are faithful. And so my prayer for each of us as we go back out into our life, into our relationships, into our, our jobs and our schedules, I pray that we will go with a greater assurance of who you are for us, not who we got to be for you. Who you are for us. You're Emmanuel, the good shepherd, the God who is with us, God in the flesh. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service?